Good morning. Welcome. Good afternoon, actually. It's uh, 1 p.m. and uh, welcome to the Health Hour. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Witt, and a great show lined up for you. Uh, we'll introduce our guest shortly, but uh, as usual, first up, the health news with uh, Catherine Child from the Times newspaper. Catherine, what's been Hi. happening? Well, as you all know, there was an earthquake yesterday. I was lucky enough to go to the epicenter, and let me tell you... Were you sent to Orkney? I went to Orkney, and there wasn't a broken window. Have you been I there mean, before? No, I haven't been there. I never, ever want to go back. And you just imagine it, the insurance fraud. People with broken windows for years phoning the insurance company and being like, the earthquake broke my window. Those people in Orkney whose <laughs> earthquake broke the window are lying. There wasn't even... <laughs> There was a chair overturned. We had a big laugh. We went to the school that was damaged by the earthquake and we managed to see a plastic chair that overturned. Right. So I think most of the damage was underground. Yeah, I mean, just one, one unlucky guy, unfortunately, standing next to the wrong wall. Yeah, but really not very much. And if you're ever out of a job, if you get fired for being too rude on radio, you can go work at the mining hospital because I snuck in there last night. And it is amazing. Beautiful... Shining floors. Yeah, you know these colonialists who come and mine in our country, they actually do quite a nice job for their workers. Well, they make a nice hospital. I mean, the security yep. was really tight. Like, they caught us, and I can tell you in government hospitals, you don't get caught in hands. <laughs> we were asked to leave very nicely. So. <laughs> okay, good. Well, uh, good security and good hospitals. Um, what's, uh, what's the story about uh, aspirin? Okay, so if you're over 50, you must now decide if you want to die from prostate, lung, or like stomach cancer, or if you're going to die from internal bleeding. <laughs> some researchers have looked at all the evidence to show if aspirin does reduce cancer. There's been, some people have been talking about it for ages. Yeah, rectal and cancer is a proven one already. I mean, that's enough of a reason for me to take aspirin. You know, I do not get cancer of my ass. Uh, it, it's like, that's important. You've got to be over 50 for it to work, so sorry for you, unless you're <laughs> older than I think. No. no, no, not 50 yet. Although I am and 10 years. If you take it for 10 years and you're older than 50, they think that you're less likely to get colon and various forms of stomach cancer, maybe less likely to get prostate cancer. But it can make you bleed internally. So yeah, low-dose low aspirin I'm still okay with. I know we, uh, we give it commonly for people with uh, heart issues. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's great. I'm, when I'm 50, I'm going to take an aspirin a day. It's easy. Yeah, cheap, go for it. And I don't want to get colon cancer. So. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. So, uh, but on, uh, moving on from the cancers, there's a bit of a rabies scare. Again, this comes around all the time. And apparently it's partly because people don't, they forget to vaccinate their dogs. Because, I mean, like we're busy. But this has started in the northwest. There was a jackal that bit a farm worker, and the jackal has been found to be positive with rabies. Now they're rushing around vaccinating cattle, and people are panicking because they think it might be in dogs, and then someone gets bitten. So, yeah, there is a bit of a rabies scare in the northwest. And, yeah, basically just vaccinate your dog because apparently people forget, and that's... I, I don't that's think they forget. I just think, uh, you know, I, you have a dog, you're like, meh. Do I go spend the money on the vet? I'm not so sure. I think it's more of that kind of stuff going on. Well, um, have you seen videos of dogs who have rabies? <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen a dog who's I've seen a dog who's got rabies, um, up close and personal. Um, what did you? 
Well, uh, it's a long story. I, I don't actually think it's probably the one story from my medical career not suitable for radio. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they 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 obviously they are a big problem. And but you can notice it when they're really sick. The issue is when they're not yet sick, uh, is that they can lick you, and uh, you could get rabies from that in theory if you've got like an open wound on your skin, even just like a small cut or something, and a dog with and rabies you licks you. Apparently, yeah, it's quite hard to diagnose sometimes because uh, they don't all have the same symptoms. No, and, and they get a squeaky bark. And sometimes. we actually we don't know if you've got it. So the that's why if you've been bitten by a dog or we or there's or any animal and we think there's risk, we immediately give you a rabies vaccine. Uh, and sometimes if it's uh, serious enough, something called rabies immunoglob- immunoglobulin because um, it's. Uh, it's very difficult to diagnose. We don't actually know if you have it. And it can actually incubate. I went to a talk on this for up to two years. Oh, lovely. So yes. basically, we have more chance of getting rabies from this Northwest outbreak that could spread than Ebola. And we'll know well, about it in I mean, time. It, hopefully, we don't get both. But uh, I, look, I, I, think, I think we need to pause the panic on all the public health scares. Uh, because <laughs> realistically, uh, most of these things never come to fruition. No, they don't. We need the news and we need scary headlines, but no. Like, no one's going to die of Ebola and probably not rabies. All right, cool. Um, and then uh, and then, what's this, uh, what's this advert story, this commercial thing? Okay, so um, everyone wants to talk about Oscar all the time and get on the Oscar. I'm a bit tired of it, but this ad agency decided to mock Oscar going off to Vest Coffee Psychiatric Hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all the patients there love it. And they put out an ad um, mocking his psychiatric evaluation and they put a big, like a big blob, that Rorschach test where you look at a blob and you say what you see. Mm, and definitely my parents having sex. Who having sex? <laughs> I, I, said, I, said, I said it's definitely my parents having sex. No, I hope not. It looks, <laughs> I don't know. So what, so, what, and then? And then, so then the advertising stands authorities were like complained to because they were saying that this ad agency is mocking Pistorius' mental state. And the blot, this big blot, looks like handguns and a broken heart. So they've manipulated it to suggest that, you know, uh, he shot her. And it sounds like, sounds like good advertising, but people are quite tense about health. And, uh, I mean, uh, I suppose they could argue stigma around mental health. And uh, exactly. I mean, we're going to talk HIV today, uh, you know, the... the the supposed stigma around that, which is actually, as a, as a whole concept on its own, causes it, it, its own issues. So uh, it's interesting. Exactly. It's an interesting stigma. debate. Um, and so they've been told to now remove this ad. But, of course, Toast Media, we never heard of Toast Media before. They're an ad agency, and now we all know. So they got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, readers are very upset that his mental health was mocked. Yeah, you, you, know, you know the, the thing with the South Africans? Patients. They've got uh, um, attention spans like... Uh, like squirrels, um, we really uh, we really will forget. You know, yesterday we were boycotting Woolworths. Today we we're upset about some toast advert. Um, and tomorrow it'll be Woolworths again. Maybe you know. I mean, they're an easy target, obviously, obviously. <laughs> anyway, Catherine, thank you. Well, yeah, and go and take your ALVs. If you don't have HIV, you won't pass it on. You won't get it from anyone else. Ah, you will talk about that with our experts in studio. Thanks yeah. so much, eh? <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. Right, I'm going to just take a call quickly. We've got uh, Diane from Norwood. Diane? 
Hello, Diane. Are you moving furniture? Hi. Hi, Dr. Witt. How are you? Oh, it's Diane Silver. How are hi, you? Hi, I'm fine. And you? All right. Thank you. That's good. Dr. Witt, I just have a, a question. You know, I'm a health expert in medical aid, but not in very much else. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I got bitten by a crazy cat. A crazy, yes, crazy cat. Yes, this is the cat that you found, um, you found, <laughs> took home, locked in your bedroom for a week and a half. Uh, had it, I, I will add, you took it to the vet, had it spayed. So you took a wild animal, took away its reproductive organs, and then were surprised when it ran away and you found it again and it bit you. Is this about correct? <laughs> yeah, I think that you've actually uh, surmised it very well. But, you know, my hand looks like I've put it through a blender and I want to know if there's a rabies risk. You know, it was a wild creature. Okay, so and, the two- and furthermore, I was in the northwest province, I think, this weekend. So, <laughs> you know, is, is, is rabies kind of communicable that way? No. Um, okay. I, I must know. So I don't think you have rabies, and uh, it's certainly there's still a risk with a cat, although it's sure. relatively low risk. Sure. I mean, I can't close my hand. My hand is in spasm. Should that be a problem? <laughs> well, that's probably because you're developing a bit of uh, inflammation and an infection. Oh, so, so that's uh, why my fingertips are black today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if your fingertips are black, it's uh, time to go seek professional help. Sure. Do you, do you have any idea of any professional I can speak to maybe this afternoon? <laughs> yeah, call me after the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, have a nice guys. day. Cheers, eh? Bye. Bye. Right. So, uh, so a bit of news, uh, a bit of uh, crazy uh, health advice for Diane, who, who likes to trap stray animals. Uh, and, uh, and now to get to our guest, uh, who is... Dr. Cindy Siwe Fanzel. Oh, thanks for getting it right. Yes, I got it. I'm sorry, I messed it up this morning. Uh, and uh, Dr. Cindy, as she calls herself, uh, is an HIV clinician. She's been working in HIV for years. How, how long is it now? Well, it's been five years. I started in 2009, and I'm taking a bit of a break now. But yeah, it's been five years. Okay, so are you unemployed? Happily unemployed, Jonathan. Oh, that's fantastic. What so this means for the listeners is that everything is off limits because you can't be fired. No, exactly. No one can find me. I can only find myself. So I'm at home for six months, and I'm, it's been a month now. I'm really loving it. I really. Uh, Are you looking after babies? No. No. No, no. <laughs> I, last week I took a trip on the Gau train to the air, to the airport, and I think I'll be going again. I actually love the, the Gau train, guys. I just I love sitting there and doing nothing. So. <laughs> I'm zooting up and down. I'm going to Pretoria next. I just want to just be on the high train and just zoot up and down. So yeah, <laughs> and shopping. Oh, shopping. Oh, shopping. Yeah. All right. So uh, as well as being a doctor, you're a typical girl. Um, love the shopping. Uh, and uh, and the woolies. And the woolies. Yes, not a boycott of woolies at oh. all, but woolies and ultramal custard. Eh? Oh yes, of course. Let's and oros and oros. And oros. Yes, very much an oros proponent. Well, uh, you can uh, find Cindy on uh, Twitter. Her Twitter handle is? Is at um, Cindy Fansel, S-I-N-D-I-V-A-N-Z-Y-L. Cool. So you can find her there. Obviously, uh, you can call into the studio, 861 189 and uh, you can send a WeChat message straight into studio um, on Cliff Central. All right. So uh, HIV clinician, mm-hmm. that means you've been dealing with, and you've really been on the front line. So uh, I, I know we, we sort of come across people quite often who are, uh, they're involved in the research and they're in charge of large sort of bodies of people who go out and collect statistics and data and all this kind of stuff, uh, but might not actually be seeing individuals with HIV on yeah. a daily basis, whereas you've been doing that on a daily for basis. For the longest time, that's true. So I think, yeah, for the longest time, I was a clinician. I'm a clinician at heart. So that means I like seeing people. I like getting my hands dirty. Mm. And um, I was telling someone yesterday that the difference between 
me and a lot of other HIV clinicians is that is my outlook on HIV. So for me, HIV is not the end of the world. It's not a death sentence. It's basically a chance for you to start again and make your life better. That's how I view HIV. Yeah. So when I see patients and they're HIV infected or they email me or they tweet me, that's always my message that you have to have hope to make to you know to make your life work. If you don't have any hope, I can give you all the medication under the sun, but if you have no hope or you don't see yourself you know becoming better, then you're not going to get better. And I think the other thing that I'm all about, um, Jonathan, is is actually sharing information with people that don't think they could get HIV. Yeah. And this is what I call the blind spots. So mm. in South Africa, the, the unfortunate thing about the media is that we, um, the media tends to portray HIV as being a disease of black people. And yes, okay, most people in the country that are infected are black. But and black poor people. I'll, I'll, exactly. I'll put the, yeah. that as well. Yeah. So, so my thing is that I'm not out to tell people, you know, from the rural areas or from 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 poor areas about HIV because they know about it. That's where that's where our messaging has been targeted. Mm. That's what, that's what we do. But I want to tell the Dane Furners and you know the Santonites, those are the people I'm worried about. The tweets, the people on Twitter, the tweets that 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 think, oh, it couldn't happen to me. I'm white or I'm this. I'm married, whatever it is. Yeah. It's all nonsense because HIV can happen to anybody. Yeah. And if you look at our statistics and if you look at the 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 the, the age group where you know it's climbing, the prevalence is climbing. You'll see it's women of childbearing age, mm. and guaranteed, it's it's probably women, you know, like from my socioeconomic background, you know, with the two and a half kids and all of that nonsense, who are not protecting ourselves. I've been married for ten it's years. The middle been, class population group exactly, now, where it's growing. Exactly. Because so, the assumption is, it, it you know, as you said, it can't happen exactly. to me. It won't happen to me. Yeah. I'm, I've got money. Uh, I've got a car exactly. and a nice house, and uh, and HIV just won't affect me. Yeah. And so it makes me angry, though, is that fact that I mean, we know that in the private sector. There are people that are HIV infected who are white or Indian or colored, and they're seeking treatment in the private sector. The government doesn't have access to those statistics, and it would make a hell of a difference if we knew how many white people have HIV, just for people to know that there actually are white people who are living with the virus on medication. Yeah. And, you know, just to know a percentage, just to, just to give us an idea of, you know, it's not only a black thing, but I don't know how we're going to work. I don't know how we're going to get the stats from the private sector. Yeah. I well, know. I mean, interesting. I, I, I suppose the medical aides would never be willing to, but I, I treat a lot of patients who are on medical aid mm. uh, with HIV. Who are white. And uh, white, black, and not gay. Indian. Um, no, white, black, Indian, not gay. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I'm relatively for. recently treated a white guy who was middle-aged mm-hmm. and... Uh, and uh, had HIV quite so how severely. Do you get a, so how do you get a, a, a white person who's not gay to come out and speak about HIV? How do you get that person to, to want to be interviewed, Jonathan? And that's what we need. We just need one person to come out and say, listen, this is who I am. I'm Jonathan Witt. I'm, you know, I'm 30. I don't know. How old are you, Jonathan? Okay, okay, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm 31. 30, I'm 31. Okay, I'm 31 and I'm married and I'm HIV infected. That would make all the difference with our perception of the virus in this country. But yeah. anyway. I don't know how so, so tell me, what is the, what is the, the stigma? I, I, I hate, that word. The, I hate the word. I hate the way it's used yeah. um, on both sides of the argument yeah. um, to protect us from doing good public health measures um, yeah. or to stop us from using good public health measures, but also um, to further stigmatize people, I think, with HIV. Mm. What is the, is there really the stigma? Have we, has it changed? Where are we with it? Okay, so in terms of the stigma, what it is is, Jonathan, everyone wants to be loved. Okay, this is this is what this is my what I've realized from all the messages I get. Yeah. Everyone wants to be in a relationship. You want to be in a relationship with someone that adores you. You tell that person that, oh hi honey, I'm HIV infected. I'm pregnant. I'm so happy. I went to the clinic. They told me I'm I'm, I'm HIV positive, and 
what are you are you going to come home and tell this this guy that you're head over heels in love with that you're HIV infected? What are the risks of doing that? And so for me, it's 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 more about disclosure. Like, are you willing to go back and tell this guy that you're HIV infected? And most of the women that write me, I mean, we know that one in three um, pregnant women is HIV infected. The w- women that book in the public sector, yeah, the majority of them cannot, will not disclose because they don't want to lose the relationship. Yeah, so they don't tell their husbands or who they probably got it from. Well, no, Jonathan, we actually don't know that. Okay, so that's, that's an unfair comment. That's an unfair comment. But we don't, okay. yeah. So they, they don't want to disclose. So mm. my job, you know, what I try to do is I try to encourage him to disclose. And obviously, if you can't, she can't. And I'll give an example of a woman who is um, having a relationship, well, married to a taxi driver. And she was presenting with her fourth pregnancy. So she, she'd been HIV positive since 2003. I was meeting her for the first time in 2010. And she had not told her husband that she was HIV infected. Seven reason, years, you said. Seven years, yeah. And the reason why she hadn't is because he would, he would say stuff like, if, if I ever find out I'm HIV infected, I will shoot you and I'll shoot the kids. So she knew what, and he was a, he was a taxi driver mm. or a taxi owner, I can't remember, but mm. he had a gun. So there's no way I was going to encourage her to disclose. Yeah, so she believed she, there was legitimate risk there. Exactly. So when there's legitimate risk, you can't disclose. But I try to get people to disclose. And, I, and my, my whole thing is, if the person that you're going to disclose to dumps you because you're HIV infected, that person doesn't deserve to be in your life mm. because HIV is not the end of the world. But disclosure, Jonathan, people will not share. So there are a lot of people that are very judgmental about HIV and they don't know that at home their partners could be HIV positive, their mothers could be HIV positive, their friends could be HIV positive, and they're not saying because of the stuff they spew out of their mouths about HIV. Well, I mean, if we look at it and we yeah. just extrapolate, so we've got a third of uh, women who present who are pregnant, yes. a third in the public sector, yeah. um, and if we extrapolate that out to the rest of the population, mm-hmm. what do we think the roughly in the country... It's a one in five? One in three. Oh, and, oh, including, including the men. Yeah, including one the in men. One in four. So, yeah, so exactly, one in five, one in, around one in four. Yeah, so 20 to 25% of the country has it. So the, the reality is that even if you don't know that someone has it, someone you know has it. Without a doubt. Whether it's your, your best friend or the guy, the security guard at the gate or the lady that helps you out of the woolies, you mm. know one person who's HIV infected. It's just that you don't, you don't know that they're HIV infected because, you know, you, you know, people walk around with their statuses and they don't share and they don't have to share. You don't actually mm. have to tell even that you're HIV infected. So that's what worries me. I, I think when, when I get upset on Twitter with people that, you know, tweet nonsense about HIV, it's always because it comes from a very judgmental point of view, like, oh, they deserve it. You know, people that are HIV infected deserve it. We, you can only say that if you yourself don't know your status or you're just being totally ignorant about the virus. Yeah. You know, no one deserves anything. And it could happen to you. Today you're laughing at someone else and tomorrow you're the one that's HIV infected. And then what? Yeah. All right. So in terms of that, because and, and talking about the stigma and where we're going with HIV, because, yeah. you know, I'm a big proponent of the fact that HIV should be a notifiable disease. Oh, no. Um, you've spoken I am, about that? I know. I know. I know we're going to disagree. that, And that's good. That's okay. fine. Um, but... Uh, because I, I feel that treating it differently mm-hmm. creates more stigma. Uh, and I think that was part of the problem originally, is mm-hmm. that if it was like, oh, I've got flu, or oh, I've got cholera, or oh, I've got any of those other diseases that no one freaks out about, but s- some of which are just as deadly, some of which are just as dangerous, mm-hmm. um, potentially untreated. Obviously, HIV, we've got wonderful drugs for now, mm-hmm. um, but... I just feel that we started a long time ago and we wanted to hide it. Not people, governments. The way it was dealt with is it came from a well, stigmatized the way it place. came out 
Yeah, exactly, John. You yeah. hit the nail on the head. The way HIV was introduced to the world, it came from... It's gay people. Exactly. So it came out as gay disease and, yeah. you know, you get thin and I mean, it was die. originally called that, actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was called GRID, you know, the gay... Yeah. Yeah, gay something, something. Gay immunodeficiency. Yeah. 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 And so, and so the way... So the place that it came from, and of course, then all the moralistic issues around, you know, being homosexual... I think we just need to say it didn't come from gay people. No, it didn't come... But it, it originally it, spread in that community. Exactly. And they, and they identified it first as there's a problem. Problem and we need to do something about it. Mm. And I think if, if HIV was a not a sexually transmitted infection, we wouldn't have these issues. So it, it's because even, you know, there's this thing, you're HIV infected, you were sleeping around or you didn't use a condom, but you had sex. You, mm. you, you know, and it's not true. I mean, there are babies that are born with HIV and they didn't have sex. They, they, these young, these teenagers who have never had sex and they're HIV infected. So the world just can't seem to move away from the from that, that that very strong, and I and I blame religion for this. Religion has like all of us don't realize how much it has messed us up in that sense. Mm. We all very judgmental about HIV, and that's why you want you know I mean, Jonathan, no, it'll it'll not be a notifiable disease. Well, not when I'm, <laughs> not when I'm okay. minister. Okay, all right. So so let's let's uh, let's uh, okay. But if I take over after you, then no, then, no, then no, we're no. in trouble. Um, okay. <laughs> so but hold on. Let's uh, okay. let's uh, the notifiable we can argue about for days. Um, it's what are we seem to be winning a little bit. Yeah. I, I kind of, one week I hear, and I have this insert with Catherine on, giving us the news, and one week we have a, a sort of t- a title and a heading and a, a newspaper article which says, yeah, we're winning, and uh, this number has dropped. And the next week we have another article which says, oh, we're losing because this number's increased. You know, uh, so I think the last time it was um, the number of people on ARVs has increased. But the number of people uh, undiagnosed with it are is up. Mm-hmm. So you know we've got a, we're winning on one side, losing on the other. Where are we? Okay, so for me, winning is people not dying, and that's really what it's all about for me. Okay, so if I become minister of health, the focus is just going to be solely on people not dying because no one has to die. And the more people we have on treatment, I mean, it's, it's like a it's like a snowball effect. The more people you have on treatment, the more people with low viral loads, and the less people that are going to be infected. So it it works together. But, but the, the, the Department of Health, I understand why they do this. They're very, they're very obsessed with numbers, and they want numbers that look good. So it's, it's good for, to, for, for the Minister of Health to say there are 825,000 people with, you know, on ARVs, and there's a, a less than 2% chance of transmission from mother to child. That's all. They like saying stuff like that. They've got a good story to tell. But yeah. the reality is that we want people not to die. Less than 2% chance. I mean, I, I think At people weeks. should be very, very careful with statistics, mm-hmm. uh, something uh, you know, I'm quite passionate about is mm-hmm. how how these things are, are interpreted in health. And and remember, if we say two percent, less than two percent okay, risk. Okay, so this, so this is okay. So what? So okay, so this is what this is what the stat actually means because I know that a lot of journalists don't dissect it. Yeah. So we're saying that at six weeks, a baby that's been born to an HIV infected mom, at six weeks, okay, less than two percent of 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 the of those babies are testing positive. We're very happy about that. But these babies are breastfeeding. And, you know, they're carrying on with their lives oh, and they there. need to be tested at 18 months. Yep. So I don't care about the less than 2%. That mm. means nothing to me. I want to know those babies that were tested at six weeks, are we testing them at 18 months? And if uh, we are, how many of those babies are still negative at 18 months? It's also important to make the, fa- the, the, the point that even if you say 2%, 2%, and if there are 10,000 babies born every month, 2% is still going to give you 200 babies that are HIV, that are HIV positive. We should and, not and, be happy we, with that number. But And there's nothing much we can do about that, Jonathan, because in countries, even in countries where they do not breastfeed, like, mm. you know, overseas, 
they are sitting at a less than 1% transmission rate. So there are babies that are going to get the virus in utero. There's nothing we can do about that. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible to have a mom sitting in front of you. And she says to you, but doctor, I, I took the medication. I didn't breastfeed. I had a Caesar. Why is my baby positive? We know there are going to be some in utero transmissions and there's nothing we can do yeah. about that. But you're right. The, the less than 2% is not something to gloat about because there's work to be done. There's, still, there's, it's still a large number of exactly. kids with well, HIV. For me, every child that's born positive is one child too many. That's how, that's my, yeah, that's my sure. attitude. But yeah, the stats, the stats, I mean, look, the way the Department of Health presents stats, they always present stats to make themselves look look good. I, mm. I mean, that's why when, when they when they release stuff, I, I don't read the article. I don't well, care politicians. what the minister is saying. Exactly. All right. So, so, so are we, uh, in your opinion, you've been, no. you've been doing this for five years. Are we in a better place now than we were five years ago? And, and why? Definitely. No, we are. I think, um, you know, when I was working at Barrack Gwanath Hospital and I, I was caught up in the middle of, I, I was there when we saw the peak of the deaths. You know, yeah. it's horrible. So, you know, I was doing, I'd be doing ward call, and you know what ward call is like. You worked at Barra, you know, so you'd be certifying 25 bodies uh, in like, the morning. Four yeah. in the morning, you get calls, and you go just, just declare people so, yeah, dead. Dec- yeah. So, yeah. and so when I taught students like two years ago, they were telling me that they only certify five bodies, and so you, we that alone tells me that we've made a very big, you know, we've made a very big um, improvement in terms of getting people on treatment and making sure that people don't die. The problem with our program, and this is this is what I was feeling before I, I resigned from work, is that as a program grows, the quality of the work goes down. That that's something we can't we can't run away from. Yeah. And so the quantity we've managed to do, we've managed to get many people on treatment, but the quality is what I'm worried about. So what are we doing? Are we keeping people on treatment for two years? At two years, are they still virally suppressed? So there's all those other things to worry about. Mm. And I want the Department of Health to stop focusing on how many people are on treatment and start thinking the ones that are on treatment. Are they sticking to their treatment? Are they still using condoms? And if they want to have kids, are they doing it the correct way? And yeah. those are the little things that um, I think going forward, um, certainly the PEPFRA-funded partners, that's the kind of stuff that the uh, you know the donors are going to be looking at and they're actually wanting us to start reporting okay. on. All right, well, let's get to those sort of players just now. Um, yeah. In terms of, because uh, you mentioned the breastfeeding thing, and I'm not yeah. sure everyone is quite uh, up to date with what happened in South Africa. I actually wrote a blog on it. Um, and uh, in which I compared the breastfeeding um, problem to Russian roulette, essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because because you, from my perspective, what happened was uh, if you were HIV positive, you had a choice. You could make a decision. Exactly. So you could turn around and say, look, I'm HIV positive. The doctor has explained to me that if I exclusively breastfeed, the risk of transmitting to my child is X. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it, and it's, if I recall correctly, it's in the region of uh, 20 to 30 percent. Yeah, well, now that we have ARVs, it's sitting at like 15 percent. Right, so, so that had been still, explained to the patient. They yeah. could either choose to breastfeed knowing that there was about a 15, call it a 15 percent risk. Um, and if they chose not to breastfeed, then they would get given formula by exactly. the government, paid for, six, for by the government for six months, for six months which is the the period a child should be giving uh, given milk formula only, or milk only, put it yeah. that way and not solids yeah. um, and therefore the child would have assuming they didn't give it any breast milk the child would have 0% risk of contracting HIV mm-hmm. the and government then uh, took a good look at it they claimed that it was uh, a, a good health money. decision but they didn't they didn't mention the, the, the money I yeah. think that, that that was happening in the background we were spending in the region of uh, 22 million no I think it was about 200 million rand no, Jonathan. I, 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 it's in my blog. I, I can reference it later. But uh, I think it was in the region of 200 million rand a year on uh, on formula, formula essentially. 
And uh, the minister trying to find money in his department probably thought, well, this is a great place to find money. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we all know that breast is best and all that kind of stuff, but that's not actually true necessarily with HIV. Uh, and so what they did was we became an exclusive breastfeeding country. Mm-hmm. Our government does not provide formula feeding to anyone anymore. And this decision, and, and you know, this decision was taken by a bunch of men, um, you know, professors from KZN. I mean, I'll I'll say this to anyone who cares to listen. There's a bunch of professors from KZN who sat down, they've done research, and they found that, you know, if, if the milk is not mixed properly, babies are dying. And I mean, all over the country, yeah. so the, oh, that, my that, that was the other big thing yeah. is 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 if you if you formula feed your child, the risk of getting vomiting and diarrhea and essentially dehydration and then the child dying is higher. So therefore, instead of telling people better methods of washing their bottles. We just ban formula feeding. Exactly. And I, I think uh, a very good point, which is that a, a decision often in health is made by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly when it comes to female issues and when it comes to issues involving children, that means a fair amount of, I hate the word, but misogyny to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is in this case, as an example, women who have kids are often women who work as well. Exactly. And therefore, if you make them have to breastfeed, um, you paralyze them in some way. Exactly. Either they have to give up their job, which means then they don't have the earnings. Or they can't breastfeed for six months. Or there's always a something. Or they can't breastfeed for six months. And then they mix feed, which exactly. then makes the chance of vomiting and diarrhea even higher. Exactly. So it's a big issue. So so you, you and I are both against the whole you have to breastfeed yeah. thing. Um, where you know that was about two years ago. Where, so that, where yeah, are we so, now? Okay, so okay, so I'll tell you where we at now. So so two years ago it was a big story. I think I was very angry. I was I was very angry and I was very outspoken about it. And I realized that I couldn't beat the system. It was done. The decision was made. It was it, we we it's called the Twani Declaration because it was the declaration was made in August 2011 in Twani. Minister Mutswaledi was there. They were singing and dancing. To, you know it was horrible. <laughs> and um the and the thing was that there was they said that. We're going to supply milk to babies that are born this, in this month, and then they'll stop the milk in, um, was it the end of March? But that's, that's not what the clinics heard. The clinics decided instantly, instantly no more milk. So you had situations where mummies were coming to the clinic, there was no milk. I remember buying a tin of milk from a mummy in the queue for another mom who had not been given milk. I went to the maternity, I said, listen, this woman needs her milk. And they said, no, she's not getting milk because there's no more milk allowed. So it was a bit of a mess, you know. And, and what, you know, what you've said, Jonathan, is so true in that you need to look at the, context of of a place you know so if you look at soweto for example the women that the majority of women that are living in soweto are not there to play or to sit at home and stay at their kids and bring them up they've Mm. come to work so Mm. the people have come from other provinces to seek work and the cheapest place for them to live in is in soweto i mean you can come from zimbabwe and and settle in soweto you'll be undercover no one's gonna no one's gonna notice that you know you're not from here so a lot (laughs) of these women come here for work they happen to have babies and now you've taken away formula yeah. And now these women must decide, am I breastfeeding, am I working, or am I going to mix feed? And what do you do? You will mix feed. You will go and buy Klim or Nespray or cream of maize, that horrible stuff, cream of maize, and feed your baby cream of maize. So the nice thing is that in the last two years, I think my anti-breastfeeding campaign really it exploded in a way that I didn't expect. So fortunately for me, there's a lot of women that have access to, to, to smartphones now. Yeah. And a lot of them actually contact me. And so I've done a lot of weaning. I've probably weaned about a thousand babies from breast milk to formula. Okay. Um, just through. The, through. And these women obviously pay for themselves. They, and they, they pay for themselves. Yeah. yeah. And their babies, you know, and I always, every single mommy that I've helped, you know, she sends back a message and then she'll tell me, okay, my baby's now negative. I've gone for that repeat test. All the stuff that's meant to be done, I'm helping mummies over the internet. And there's a mummy from Nigeria. Nigeria mm. is the worst. They have a, a rubbish PMTC program, if non-existent. 
And this woman... That's the prevention of mother-to-child transmission. transmission. Sorry, yeah, Stopping HIV from getting to kids, yeah. basically. So Nigeria has... has oh, yeah, it's a horrible place to be. You know, they, ha- they don't have a very good program. So this is a country where if you found out to be HIV infected, you lose your job, you can't access um, medical tests, you can't access blood tests. And so she was pregnant, she'd had a baby, and she had to breastfeed. But she didn't have the medication that you need to be taking when you're breastfeeding. And you know what, Jonathan? That woman breastfed. And I helped her. I mean, she was messaging me almost every other day. Her name's Michelle. And you know what? Her baby is one year old now. Yeah. Her baby's negative. She at least managed to get the baby tested. She took out, she paid a lot of money for the baby's yeah. PCR to be done. And just from my support yeah. over, over telephone, by phone, she was able to breastfeed and wean and her baby is negative. So, what it, so it can work, but mm. you need intense support. Yeah. And that's what the government is not providing. So they're saying to these moms, go ahead and breastfeed, but they're not giving they're not giving the support that it's needed. Because I mean, I breastfeed. Yeah. And it's a hor- breastfeeding is a nightmare. Take it from me, it is horrible. Because yeah. you must take your child with you everywhere you go. Yeah. If your baby cries, you should be there. You're the little dairy. You should be there to feed the baby. <laughs> so yeah. All right, great. So I mean, good insights on on the whole breastfeeding side of things. Uh, let's take a break. If anyone wants to give us a call, if anyone wants to ask Cindy anything, she's she's more than happy to answer any questions. Oh eight six one five 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 one eight nine or message into studio on WeChat. See you after the break. So dancing in your eyes like shadows in the night, throwing pirouettes around the stars. We were running in the haze. I remember every shade hit my veins and they shot up sparks. Words fell from your lips and all I heard was white noise. So let your colors run tonight. We're painting in the dark. Let your colors run tonight. The colors of your heart. Let your colors run tonight. 
no more bullshit. No more bullshit. You want answers on the Gareth Cliff Show. Right, it's not the Gareth Cliff Show. It's the health hour. But uh, nevertheless, you won't hear any bullshit here. Um, so, chatting to uh, Dr. Cindy from Zale, um, talking about everything HIV. I mean, problem is, in an hour, you can't talk everything HIV. But let's let's chat uh, a little bit about uh, the sort of role players. You know, so we've we've discussed about the problem, and, and we know we've got issues around breastfeeding. We know we've got issues around you know prevalence and incidence and all of all of these things. Um, where are we in terms of who's providing the treatment? Are we actually succeeding in hitting everywhere we need to, getting drugs to everyone that needs them? Where are we with that? Okay, so um, so in most of in most of um the what I hate the words disadvantaged, but in in the third world countries we have this you have the PEPFAR um fund, and so PEPFAR is the it's a UN it's, a, it's the United States yeah it's it's a it's oh a yeah presence, sorry that's yeah, the US one yeah, yes the US um fund mm-hmm. and they basically assist countries with their HIV um programs okay so South Africa is assisted by PEPFAR funded partners so I used to work for Anova which is a PEPFAR funded partner so every province has PEPFAR partners who have to who who receive who get money from the US to assist the Department of Health with its rollouts. Okay. So everywhere. So Soweto has three partners. Um, you know, everywhere. Everywhere has a partner. And so our job is to ensure that the Department of Health has all the support it needs to help with rolling out. So in terms of reaching, in, in terms of t- treatment being rolled out, every every clinic in this country that has the capacity to roll out ARVs should be rolling them out. So can I put it another way? The Americans give us a lot of money for our HIV program. Yes. They don't directly trust our government with the money. Mm-hmm. And funny thing that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes. and then they basically appoint third parties to make sure that the government manages the money properly. Well, okay. So the money comes to us and we we, we, we work with the money ourselves. So the, the government Buy drugs, set up clinics, etc. Exactly. Hire people like me to, you know, to work in the clinics and stuff like that. But the government doesn't actually get the money. Okay. So the problem now, there's a small little problem that's, that's, that, that's, that's happening now, mm-hmm. is that the government and the partners don't always work well together. So there's a bit of a tension now. So we don't know what's going to happen, but it looks like the government would actually prefer to get the money themselves. Of course they would. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. You yeah, because the Americans aren't going to do that. Yeah, so so there's just a bit of a tension right now, but so far so good. I mean, look, if if a clinic is not rolling out treatment, it's not fair to only you know to only blame the Department of Health. You also mm. need to find out which PEPFAR partner is working within that area, or you can yeah. always message me and I'll let you know, yeah. and then you hold them accountable. You can contact PEPFAR and say, listen, I went to a clinic in the northwest, there were yep. no drugs, and then things will be sorted out. So so there's there's two parties in this. And in terms of the drugs themselves, I mean, the nice thing that we're getting generics from 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 India, and I think Aspen is also producing some generics. So mm-hmm. the drugs are so cheap. I mean, that's that, that's the one thing. That's the one good thing about Tabumbeki and Bill Clinton. They managed to make sure that pharmaceuticals let go of their patents way before time to ensure that we get cheap drugs. So bottle a, a bottle of the of the fixed dose combination such as Tribus is probably around 100 rand a month. Costing 100 rand a month to keep a patient yeah. in treatment for a month, which is fantastic. And a few years ago, just to tell everyone, that was probably about 1600 rand a month. Exactly. So yeah. we've come along. So that's really great, except for, except for one drug. So there's a drug for second line treatment, and it's called Alluvia. And Alluvia is made by Abbott, and Abbott is very greedy, and they still haven't sorted themselves out. So Abbott <laughs> is still supplying Alluvia and not allowing anyone else to, to make the generic of it. So yeah, yeah. We'll Are you happy goes. with the quality of those generics? Oh, yes, I am. Well, not that I've tested okay. myself. No, 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 myself, I'm sure. But no, so far, there, was, so there were problems a few years ago with some Indian so drugs, the only, so, so the only, that's why I ask. Yeah, so the only thing with the generics, with some of them, is that 
um, you get a rash. So obviously when you switch when you switch from the originator to the to the to the generic, you you get a transient rash about two weeks, depending. Not everyone, but some people get a rash. The rash is transient, it subsides, and then from there you can carry on with your treatment. So I think what we need to do as doctors is to educate people around the efficacy and the safety of using generics. Mm. You know, I don't want even in the private sector, I don't want patients in the private sector to still be using a tripler. It's flipping expensive. I want people to switch over to the generics because the generics are available in the private sector. But obviously it suits it suits someone in the private sector for people to still be taking a tripler. And I don't that's not fair. Mm. So, you know, if you are an, if you are on treatment and you're in the private sector and you want to switch to a generic, um just, you know, email me or tweet me or I don't know, DM me or something and then at least I'll tell you what to say to your to your doctor to make sure that the next time you go for a script, you get a generic. A bit cheaper. Yeah. All right. So that's going relatively well. Yeah, that's going well. But thanks thanks to the partnership between you know the partners, the paper funded partners, and the yeah. Department of Health. But the idea, obviously, as the as the funding goes down, because America it's not it's not a bottomless pit of money. You know, you know how things are going in the world. Mm. So obviously, in the next five years. The, the funding is tapering down very sharply. So if the Americans pulled funding tomorrow, what would happen to our HIV program? Well, in Soweto, for example, I think they'd carry on because we've done a fantastic job there. <laughs> I'm not so sure about the rest of the country. The Western Cape does their own thing, so I can't comment about them. Western um, Cape's their own country and everything yeah, they, to yeah, do with health. And that's very yeah. annoying. You know? It is very annoying, That's a topic yes. for another day. Yeah, and so, some of their laws are coming up to our parts of the world, exactly, and they're also very annoying. Yeah. But um, so I don't know about so so I know that Gauteng would be fun because we've got very strong partners. I'm not sure about everywhere else, but mm. you know, this is something that the Department of Health and the partners are working on together to make sure that Evans up to speed and Evans doing the doing, doing the same thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we seem to be doing a relatively decent job on the treatment side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk prevention because because there was a little uh, you know there was a comment uh, Catherine made the comment uh, and. Uh, She's from the media, so this is a this is probably a widely held um, belief. Uh, I think it was about a, a year and a half ago um, where they released a study which showed that uh, what was happening is they they took people, they gave them a drug, Truvada, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the antiretrovirals. Um, well, it's a combination drug actually, um, and uh, they uh, they they basically came out to show that if you took this drug, uh, you could then sleep with someone who's HIV infected and not necessarily pick up the infection, be at very low risk. Uh, let's comment a little bit about that, because cause I, th- I don't think the, the way we want to go with HIV is increasing risky behavior. Exactly. So, I mean, look, when it comes to the – so you go, it's called PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, and you see, right, it's Truvada. It's a, it's a fixed-dose combination of two drugs. And I think the messaging around PrEP – and I, this time around, I really blame the media – and so they came out with this headline that, you know, you take this magic pill and you go out there and you have sex with whoever and you won't get HIV. And we know that is not true. I mean, there's circumstances, there's, there's, there's conditions under which you must take PrEP. And there's so many other things that follow on pre-taking it and after taking it. So you're not going to go out there and be popping PrEP whenever you feel like it. It doesn't work like that. So I, I just think, you know, as you say, you, you know, you, really, you, know, you like stats and you like p- things to be reported correctly. I just think that journalists must do themselves a favor and do us a favor and go back and read those papers properly and come out with a, with a totally different angle to that story. Mm. They, had, they, had, they missed a lot of teaching opportunities, and I don't have the energy to go through it now because I was very upset when it all came out. Mm. And, I just, and, I, and I really, this is just me saying to journalists out there, go back, sit down, read those papers, and come back with something new because you owe this to the public. And the public needs to know that it's not just a magic bullet or a magic tablet that you swallow and everything is fine. It is not like that at all. Yeah. It's not like oh, well, I mean, the way it was reported at the time was if you're going clubbing tonight and you intend to sleep it, with a stranger, you know, just take one 
and then you're fine. Go for it. No condom required, nothing. Yeah. So I'm not going to spend expend my energy fixing what I believe the journalists out there should sort out. They need to come yeah. back and tell the media exactly what PrEP is all about. Yeah. Okay, good. So... So it's not uh, it's not a one pull, but that, a, that's the no, bottom line. But, but on, we're on working that, on something. On I mean, obviously we're looking to like maybe an injection or whatever. These are things that are happening in the yeah, well, all the time. We're trying to make a vaccine, but they they're really not succeeding on yeah. that end at this stage. Yeah, but that's um, where we're going. We want people to be able to protect themselves. And you know, in my in my heart, Jonathan, I'm actually thinking of women that are in relationships where they can't negotiate safe sex. If, really, that's what if we can have prep for men who have sex with men, and we've seen some measure of success, mm. why can't you do the same for women who know that if they were to broach the subject of using condoms, there'd be drama in their household. But she knows that her, her partner is not, you know, he's not faithful. faithful. necessarily. So yeah. she should also get an opportunity to protect herself. So that's where I'd want to see this going. Mm. You know, so in my head, I think this is where we can sure. go with this. All right. And, and, and any, I don't know if you know anything more on the vaccine. Last I heard, we weren't, uh, they tried and they'd sort of failed. Um, it, it's because HIV is actually quite an, quite an amazing virus. Mm. It, it actually mutates uh, every well, day. Well, I remember saying to Kev and you were not impressed. On Twitter, the one. No, it's true. It's, 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 it is an amazing virus, and I think what people don't understand about it is that in each person, um, you, you know, you've got the you've got the main strain. So you've got HIV one subtype C, which was which is in southern Africa. Our main virus, yeah. Yeah, our main virus. But subtype C, so group C. So Jonathan will have C1 and I'll have C2 and you'll have C3. So in each person, there's like a different strain of the virus. Sorry, and that's uh, Jeff's just crying in the corner. He just got diagnosed with <laughs> yeah, HIV Jeff, without HIV any counseling. <laughs> without any counseling. That was just like and, straight like that. Sorry, Jeff, you've sorry, got Jeff. HIV. <laughs> and, and, yes, and, and that's the problem with the, va- with, with, with the vaccines. Like you, you can't... It's not working, yeah. you know, and they yeah. try and try and they keep on trying and we hope that yeah. they succeed. But, it's, yeah. but, but uh, I mean, would you agree? I know we don't always agree on, on every approach, but I mean, is, is it not really prevention is better than cure? Ideally, if we could, in a perfect world, we can't really, but in a perfect world, it's really try not to get it in the first place. In a perfect world, none of us would be having sex, Jonathan. After all that I've seen. I don't think that would be a perfect um, world. Well, <laughs> when I speak to high school students, I always tell them the best sex is no sex, and I leave it at that. But in, a, in, in an ideal world, you should be having sex with a condom and using it correctly and consistently. Because sure. as far as I'm concerned, intermittent condom use is as good the as waste no of time. condom use. And, and obviously there's the other side of things, which is the issue around um, the combination um, of HIV with other diseases. Yeah, and, and we're seeing more of that now because people are living longer. Mm. So of course we're going to be seeing HIV and diabetes and HIV and hypertension, high blood pressure and HIV and other cancers. So we, as as, as a HIV infected population lives longer mm. with ARVs, there's so much more coming into HIV and heart disease. So yeah, there's it's, it's exciting times ahead in terms of the drug-drug interactions and just how we're going to react as a, as a, as a medical fraternity to, to geriatric HIV. What are we going to do the Gogos who have got Alzheimer's and HIV or yeah. you know arthritis and HIV. There's sure. so much to do. And people are living very long now on right. ALVs. I mean, we've got people living well in the states because they started long ago. Yeah, we've got people living 40 years almost yeah. on on ALVs. Yeah. So and we know that they work and, and you can live and, a long, full, happy. I life. treated a patient uh, last year. I treated a patient. She had been on ALVs since. 1999, I think it was. Really? Where was she um, getting her medication? Ah, uh, she she bought it privately. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't know how she afforded it back then. Mm. But uh, obviously she got help. But but uh, she had she'd been on for 15 years essentially. Wow. Um, and and uh, you know, she'd come in with a standard pneumonia like anyone could get. Mm. Um, and I discharged after a couple of days, and she was fine. Mm. So, you know, it's uh, it's 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 there is some hope. Um, There's certainly. a lot of hope, no, and that's what that's what my message is all about. I mean, I think over and above the clinical aspect of HIV, 
I mean, you can read it up anyway. You can Google mm. HIV. But for me, what I'm sharing is hope. I want people to know that there is hope. You don't have to die from an, an, an AIDS-related illness. Not not in 2014. Uh-uh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit. Let's use our last few minutes to chat a little bit about you. Um, because, uh, well, obviously, you're, you're very involved in the HIV space. Uh, you're open to any questions. You long ago set up online sort of uh, anonymous questions. Yeah. Uh, you're happy to take questions on Twitter. You're happy to give people your telephone number to sort of message you privately. Uh, and uh, you've got a, a, a whole advice column in Bono magazine. Um, so so you, you're doing your bit without a doubt. Um, you were also involved in SAMA at some point. Uh, yeah, I was involved in SAMA. So SAMA is the South African Medical Association, which is now the South African Medical Association Trade Union or something. So, yeah, because they are a trade union. Because they are a trade union. So yeah, so I, um, yeah, so I quit the branch, the Gauteng branch council last year, and I think it was in August. And what it is, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I think, yeah, that's the honest truth. But unhinged, we're having unhinged radio. <laughs> I'm tired of an organization that's meant to represent medical doctors but that's, that's in bed with the Department of Health. It doesn't make sense to mm. me. So how can you want to be looking after the medical doctors and looking after their rights when you and the Department of Health has, have this unhealthy relationship? So Absolutely. I don't know where we're going with that. And I think you and I used to have discussions about this, even at, you know, when ICE is bumping to you. Yeah, look, I'm, 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 I'm particularly anti-SOMA. Um, a couple of reasons. Mm. Um, you know, one is I got anti them when they came to my med school class originally and uh, yeah. told everyone that they had to, by law, sign up to be members of SOMA. And, which is a lie. Which is a lie. Um, I didn't know this. And they do this all the time to med students. They, yeah. they, they tell them that you have to sign up before you leave med school. Otherwise, um, your, your money is going to be taken by the government anyway. So you might as well sign up with us in any way. It's a requirement. Um, and it's really not a requirement. So they, they actually get a lot of people in. And it's very cheap when you're a student. Yeah. Um, and then once you fully-fledged doctor, it actually becomes a little bit… Yes, yeah, so 250 rand a month. It's, yeah. it's a fair amount of money for absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, and I've, I've I've slowly become a bit more anti because there were some people who tried to start a union in competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they were, got death threats. Yeah. Um, they got they got death threats. Um, and uh, allegedly a, a one attempt on some on one of the people's mm-hmm. lives. Um, and uh, and one of my mates who happened to be a member of SOMA when he needed help to fight the government, uh, you know, a corrupt HR department, yeah. they basically left him high and dry. Because what they'll do is they'll tackle certain issues, in my opinion, which are safe issues, which Minister Motualedi and and co. won't get upset about. Um, but the other issues will be left alone. And that's worrisome, um, Jonathan. I think, I think with, and, the, and, the, and this is the problem with medical doctors, and this has always been the problem. Mm. When we went on strike in 2009, I mean, Barra was the last hospital that needed to strike for, 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 for doctors to get their way. Okay? Mm. And then Barra didn't go on strike because of Professor Haddle. And he encouraged, he, were you, weren't you an intern in 2009, Jonathan? Uh, I, I wasn't yet, but I was a student. I worked through the strike. I was a final year student. Oh, so you worked through the strike? Yeah. Uh, okay. not, not, yeah, oh. I was in fifth or sixth year. But I worked, I worked through the strike. But uh, yeah, so 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 the thing is, is that so you've so I think what, I covered those who didn't come to work. Put it that way. Oh, good. So you covered people like me. But the thing is with me is that, you, as I said, you can't have an organisation that's meant to represent doctors and it doesn't, and it works. It's in cahoots with the government. But also, mm. you can't tell us not to form our own union. You know, so my cousin is one of those people that was behind the scenes fighting hard for their own union. And yes, you're right. They did get death threats. They did. Yeah. I mean, I know this for a fact because my phone was tapped. So her and I would have conversations and they were tapping our phone. So yeah. and, her, and her line was taken away. So it's just a, it's a, it's just a real mess. And, mm. and it's not meant to be like that. And I think when I'm Minister of Health, and this one, these are all the things that make me want to become Minister of Health. What I'm going to fix, Jonathan, is just the work ethic within the public sector. Because that is what is lacking. There is zero percent work ethic. All right. 
absolutely agree with you. You know, so if we can fix that, the same way there's, I mean, these same people work in the private sector. You can't, like, are you, are you, are you bipolar or schizophrenic? I'm sorry to use those terms, but are you two people in one? Are you Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde? Where at Barra, you do rubbish work. At, at Morningside, you do proper, the proper thing. No, it's because you have zero work ethic and you actually don't give a damn. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to fix. You know, in 15 years time, when you and I are working in the same place, we're going to fix all of that because that is what's going to change healthcare in this country. Sure, change an attitude. Exactly. Because and that, it's very simple. It's a simple thing to talk about, but when you get down to doing it, there's too many people out there with their fingers in too many pies who can't afford the status quo to change. They can't afford to let things get better because they will lose out on whatever tenders they have. There's mm. like there's so much rot in the department that people don't have an idea about. Right. So on that. R- Semi-depressing note. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and that semi de- no, look, I agree with you. And I, I think rather than it be depressing is, we, you know, we know that there are things that need to change. Um, one of the biggest problems with doctors is that we don't stand together very well. Exactly. Um, and and that we, say we that. need to we need to learn to do that yeah. because if we want to fix things, we need to work um, as a unit. We need to work as a team. Exactly. Um, and we, you know, it's not only doctors who where the work ethic sometimes is is poor. We mm-hmm. we've got a big problem with nursing staff often as well. And with our other staff, uh, you know, the allied, the uh, allied uh, everything down to porters. You know, when you can't get a chest x-ray, that's that's the issue. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot to fix. Um, thank you, though, for the conversation on uh, HIV. I, I mean, it's I can have you in again for another hour. We can just uh, talk. Thanks. It's such a broad topic. Um, and uh, I don't know what you're going to do next, but I'm hoping it's something in HIV advocacy. And I, think, I think you've given me an idea. I'm going to think about what you said. And I think I'll, I'll take it further. I've got people I can speak to. And Absolutely. I think that's where you should go. In the next and six months, I think I'll do really great in there. Thanks so much. And thanks for coming in. Uh, if you want to follow uh, Cindy on Twitter, it's at Cindy Fanzel. That's with an S. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Jonathan underscore Witt. And uh, the podcast of the show will be up shortly. And I'll see you next week, every Wednesday, 1 to 2 p.m., the health hour. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Clip Central.